What's going on, GAR Capital Nation? This is Carlos, CEO of GAR Capital. Welcome to our official podcast. Doing this every week, Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Glad for you to be with us. We've been hearing a lot of demand about uh, getting podcasts going, getting you more content to know about the markets, politics, macroeconomics, stocks, and investing. That's what we're here to do. So again, uh, we're here to help in every way we can. Answering your questions every week, of course, on our uh, Instagram page, at GAR Capital. Of course, you can catch this live on our YouTube channel if you're watching because you are subscribed. Make sure to hit that subscribe button as well at GAR Capital. If you listen to us on our podcast, it's on Anchor, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Please make sure to subscribe. We really appreciate your uh, your support on that and more great things to come. So I want to give a special shout out to those that we gave away a uh, free Udemy course to you guys. Uh, you guys tagged five of your friends. You shared the post on Instagram. Today, we chose 10 winners. So congratulations to all of them. We're glad that you guys uh, joined the board and supported us throughout. So awesome. So let's talk about, let's kind of get over that now. Awesome. Let's talk about the week that we had. So again, we just got the bell hit. Um, right now, let me go and check as we are. Uh, Dow Jones closed today up about 306 points on a short squeeze. Uh, S&P 500 up 41 at 2888. And the NASDAQ closed around 7895, about 100 points off the 8,000 handle, uh, about 1.67%. Uh, the VIX closed about down about 12% at 1859, still relatively pretty, pretty steady and pretty high. Uh, crude oil gained a little bit today, and for the trading, they closed around 230 in futures contracts, uh, but it's still going as of right now, as of 6 p.m. Uh, 5 p.m. We will be closed for clo uh, futures. Uh, 5482 a barrel. Bitcoin futures above 10,000 again at 10,570. We got some uh, news on a new futures contract exchange that was set. We sent that out on our Twitter at GAR Capital. Take a look at that retweet up about 4.34%. Uh, uh, the dollar index at 98.19, up about 5 tenths of 1%. Uh, looking at here, uh, dollar yen in the Forex side, 106.35 is where we are, up about 27 pips. Uh, gold futures, a little bit of a backslide after being just so bullish for the past couple of weeks with bond yields falling. Uh, it's closed about 1523 uh, an ounce. And silver futures at 1709, still above that 17 handle, down about 0.72% uh, uh, on the day. Uh, basically, just had a bounce across the board in markets after Wednesday and Monday being so, so volatile to the downside. Now we're getting a little bit of a bounce back here. So let's kind of go over the stats and see exactly where we are and then see uh, where we are moving forward. So again, uh, looking at here, European banks, pretty much a bloodbath. Uh, they're taking a hit there in Europe. There's a lot of things going on in Europe, especially with Italian elections. And then of course, uh, German bond yields, which are like the 10-year bond yields that we always talk about in the market. Um, let me go ahead and actually give you the 10-year bond note uh, where we are right now. A 10-year bond closed about 39 basis points to the upside, 1.566%. Uh, As you can see here, the 10-year bond closed about down. It's the negative side still. Uh, 0.688%. The Japanese tenure down. Uh, I was actually up on the yield, uh, down about point. It's at two, negative 0.237%. Uh, the Germans actually talked about uh, having some deficit spending. Unlike the U.S., they like to keep uh, a surplus. Obviously, they want to balance their books. So they're talking about having uh, recessionary spending in order as a stimulus to keep the economy going. So again, uh, a little different from what we're used to, obviously, in the United States. But that's why the boom fell a little bit. So expect for bond yields for the boom to fall. I mean, you know, negative 1% isn't far-fetched here. 
Uh, but the 10-year did give a little bit of breath as, people, as investors were piling into safe haven assets like bonds when the markets were going down. So you could see a little bit of a, uh, a correlation, inverse correlation, uh, or actually an actual direct correlation with bond yields and the market. So with bond yields do fall, the markets did fall. And of course, you probably heard all week today, all week this week about the, the inversion of the yield curve. I got a lot of questions about that. What does that just mean? The inversion of the yield curve, in the basic speaking, is that the twos and tens, uh, two-year and ten-year note, the two-year note and ten-year bonds, where the yield of the two-year is actually lower than the actual uh, yield of the ten-year. So again, I kind of equate it to owning a CD. So again, if you buy a CD, for example, it's a five-year CD, in comparison to a three-year CD, you're going to expect to get more of a yield from a five-year CD because they're tying up your money even longer, right? That's kind of what the expectation is for banking. But in this case, because of expectations of lower rates from the Fed, the two years getting piled in. So their rates are a little higher than the 10-year. So because we're expecting more of a rate decrease. So again, a lot more piling into those bonds on the 10-year longer, longer term to bring down the yields. So keep in mind, when it comes to bonds, it always goes inverse uh, price of the bond and, price, and the actual yield. So again, if yields fall, prices go up. If uh, yields go up, prices go down. So as you know, today, the yields went up. So uh, what does that mean? People are selling bonds. And if people are buying bonds, then yields go down because there's less competition in order to attract new buyers for bonds. So again, it's kind of, think of it as you're trying to sell a car. Again, if you have a lot of demand for selling a car, let's say you work for Toyota, again, you really don't need to lower your rate, lower your prices. You can just have people come in because they want to buy your Corollas. But again, if you're having a little slow period, you're going to have more incentives to sell more cars. Think of it that way. So again, if bonds are getting so piled in, a lot of people are buying a lot of demand, you don't need high yields in order to attract new buyers because we're piling in anyways. But if, again, if you have you know higher yields, again, you, you're having less demand, you need to attract more buyers coming in. So again, higher yields are the way to attract them. And that's how it usually works. So uh, for the most part this week, um, we had a nice recovery today, as you know, the Dow was up 306, but again, not enough to mitigate or offset the weekly decline that we had this week. Um, for example, the president actually uh, today or yesterday during the 800 pound, uh, Wednesday regarding the 800 point drop of the Dow, he actually had a conference call with three uh, bank CEOs. Uh, he had the CEO of Citigroup, he had the CEO of Bank of America, the CEO, Jamie Dimon of uh, Morgan Chase, talking about the markets and seeing why the markets are falling where they are. So basically what happened in that end was that the CEOs were saying, you know, the markets are, the markets are where they are. The consumer is strong. We had a great retail sales number. So the consumers are, are actually spending. So remember, 70% of the economy is the consumer. So that's a big deal. Okay, consumer confidence is so important. Are they going to buy the appliances? Are they going to buy the cars, the big ticket items? Are they going to still go out to the movies? Are they still going to go out to eat to restaurants? That's what keeps people employed. But again, when people scale back and they reduce their spending, that's when you have a problem in the market because then, you know, you can't keep up the jobs and the demand for the goods and orders of warehouses pile up and prices get lowered, which leads usually to deflation. So again, consumer prices and, you know, they're pretty steady. Inflation has been pretty steady. So again, consumer demand has been picking up anyways. We had a great uh, retail sales number across the board. Uh, thank you, Amazon Prime Day, right? So obviously people are still shopping. That's a good sign. Uh, but again, this is what the CEO said to, to the president saying that what's What's having issues with the market is basically the trade war. The trade war is causing a lot of issues of confidence. We, they don't know what to expect. 
Again, we get tweets almost on a daily basis now from the president, especially when the markets are down. He's almost tweeting a storm. It's almost like desperation here to prop the markets. It worked before, but I think traders now and investors are basically are, are keen to the idea that he's just all over the place. And that's not a political statement. That's just a reality. So again, we have to kind of be careful. He could say one thing today and one thing another day. For example, yesterday, he said in front of, uh, in front of the media that uh, most of people are going to take, some people are going to have to take the brunt for example, of the uh, of the tariffs, they're going to have to pay out of pocket. But during the campaign rally and before election, well, he was saying that China would pay for it. And even in the early days of administration, he would say that China would pay for the tariffs, and they are paying for the tariffs. But again, these companies that are are tariffed, for example, they're putting the price increases on their customers, which more out of your pocket. So again, whether you're Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, this is the facts. It's just that it is affecting CEOs and business because they're not going to have the capital expenditure, what we call CapEx, to invest in infrastructure, invest in, in hiring people or expand their operations when this is uncertain, especially if you're a multinational company. And a, a strong dollar doesn't, doesn't help either because your profits get diluted. So again, if you're Pro, uh, Procter & Gamble, if you're an Apple, those kind of multi-country uh, uh, multi company. Uh, you're getting paid on their overseas money, and then you're trying to transfer it to, to dollars, it's going to hurt you. So again, a stronger dollar does hurt those multinational companies. Keep that in mind. So again, the CEOs are really reiterating that the trade war uncertainty is what's hurting the stock market. The economy in general is doing pretty well. We There's no doubt about that. GDP is still growing. Uh, unemployment is still down. Consumer spending is up. But again, CapEx, these companies... They've had on their conference calls on their uh, S&P 500 earnings are basically tapering off and more and more companies are saying trade uncertainties, the strong dollar, they are definitely causing headwinds in the market. So that's something that you have to be very cognizant about if you are a CEO of a large, large multi, uh, multinational corporation, um, especially it hits your bottom line. I mean, it's just the reality of things. But uh, another thing that they were stating, which I found very interesting was that the banks were saying that you know even a 25 basis point cut in September really wouldn't make a difference. I mean, it's almost expected. Traders are already implying 100%, 25%, uh, 25 basis point cut. But again, maybe there was some talk during the 800 point plunge that we had that maybe it would be 50 basis points. A lot of people were saying different things. Even the president wants a 100 basis point cut. He thinks that Jerome Powell is too hawkish, meaning that he wants higher rates and he's too data dependent, but he's not seeing sentiment. So again, he's always incorporating the difference between him and President Obama, his predecessor, and that he had lower rates. But again, it was a different time back then. Back then when he got elected, you're seeing a difference in regards to um, exactly the economy. I mean, there was a recovery during his administration, and Donald Trump has inherited and helped the economy we are now. So again, having lower rates doesn't really make sense. But again, unless you're trying to uh, avert a recession, but again, guys, that R word gets thrown around a lot. I mean, it's really too early to say that. We're not there yet. Again, a recession is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. We haven't had a declining GDP in Trump's administration. So again, it's too it's too early to say that. Again, it's easy to say we're going to have a recession. Of course, I mean, cyclically, statistically, we are going to bound to have one. But again, is it tomorrow? Is it next year? Um, BlackRock, which is the world's largest uh, hedge fund, has stayed by assets, by mind you. They said within, they're expecting 18 to 24 months. Part of a broad range. Are they right? Sure. I mean, maybe. We don't know. I mean, we don't have a crystal ball. But again, should you prepare for it? Yeah. I mean, you should always keep that in the back of your mind that we may have a recession or a downturn. Remember, we had a really big plunge in the S&P to 2300 in December. And that was a bear market in the market. The bear market, meaning 20% decline from all-time highs or recent highs. 
and we bounce back. So again, this is a very resilient market. And I hate, I would say this, don't bet against the president. I mean, the guy has got it done in a sense, but obviously other than the China trade war, but that's where we are. So for the most part this week, you're seeing defensive stocks. So what do I mean by defensive stocks? Defensive stocks have dominated cyclicals. So defensive stocks, meaning, um, you know, stocks that are, you know, consumer staples, PepsiCo, McDonald's, Starbucks, those kind of companies. I mean, kind of can even equate Apple to that because they're just, well, everyone needs a phone. Everyone needs a computer. Everyone needs coffee. Everyone needs fast food. Uh, PepsiCo is soda and snacks, Coca-Cola, uh, Clorox, which, you know, you do need cleaning products, Kimberly Clark, paper towels, uh, Procter & Gamble. You'll always need razors. You'll always need shampoo, no matter what happens in the market. So again, they have been dominating. A lot of hedge funds have been piling onto these safer names with a strong dividend in order to combat lower rates because they want to return their money. So that's where we are right now. Again, consumer staples has been the defensive name. Now, cyclicals meaning, you know, uh, you know, longer term return and we're a little more aggressive. You're talking about names, for example, like the chips, uh, you know, for SMH, which is the, uh, the ETF for the uh, semiconductors, semiconductor stocks. So those in general have been cyclical, but again, they have been piling onto the upside. So anything that's a little more, you know, cyclical, meaning when times are good, they do very well. Your restaurants do very well, like an Olive Garden, those kind of games, those kind of names, um, you know, not fast food, but more sit down names like a Landry's restaurant. Those kind of guys are more cyclical, you know, shopping, high end shopping, you know, like a Nordstrom or a Tiffany's. They're cyclical. When times are good, people buy cyclical like automobile sales are maybe declining in a recession. Going to be more incentives hits their bottom hits their bottom line. So that's where we are now. We're still in defensive mode because we don't know what to expect. So this is where we are. And uh, the VIX obviously exploded this week. I think we tapped around 23, 24, 25, and we dropped back down to uh, 1847 is where we are. So again, uh, we did get a nice rally today. That's where we are. Um, again, we kind of expected a relief rally, but again, we're still down for the week. Obviously, you know the big week in bonds. We had 30 years fell over 25 basis points, which is the biggest weekly drop since 2012. We actually got below 2% on the 30-year bond. So that's that's you know that's something concerning. But again, you want to think about when it comes to the yield inversion. I'm pretty sure you heard about it in the news. And we've been talking about the inversion of the yield curve. That's always the two-year and the 10-year. So the 10-year is where people borrow from. When you come, when you get a mortgage, that's based on the 10-year note, the 10-year bond. A two-year is where banks are borrow from. So again, they borrow from the two and they lend at the 10. The difference between those two yields are what we call the spread or the profit margin, if you want to, if you say. If the profit margin is squeezed or not enough, the banks don't really have the incentive to lend to you. Again, they want to make money on their investment to you or lending to you because you could default, um, there could be, you could be, be late or what have you, you know, credit risk is what we call. So again, uh, that is something to keep in mind. Now, again, just because it tapped it, we got to see a continuous hold of this risk, uh, excuse me, of this uh, yield curve inversion. It's an event, yes, but again, it needs to be sustained in order to be shown as a red flag. So again, it, it, you'll see a lot of it, but again, is it something to worry about today? No, but I go, I knew I, when I told my team that once it did happen, the yield inversion curve, uh, the yield curve inversion, that the algos, meaning the algorithms, the, the, the computers would sell off right up the ribbon. That's what we got on Wednesday. So there, that explains it. Um, twos and tens inverted brief this week. And then the three months and the 10 year are inverted for sure. And they stayed inverted. Uh, so you're getting more of a dovish Fed we're expecting. Now there's talking about, you know, maybe 50, 75 basis points of a cut for the rest of the year. That's a lot. I mean, there was talk earlier this year that we wouldn't get any. And now we just had 25 and they're expecting about maybe three more. That's 100 basis points within the, the calendar year. 
So again, it should boost the market because when you're getting yield, uh, when you're getting uh, interest rates cut, you're adding more liquidity to the market because the Fed is actually buying government bonds when that's the case. When they're actually cutting or increasing the rates, they're actually selling bonds. So just keep that in mind. The dollar has been very strong, as you know. And again, that does hurt multinationals. And if you're a Forex trader, if you have been a dollar long, you've actually been paid pretty well. So again, keep an eye on the dollar if you want to trade to the upside. Uh, everyone has been talking about the yuan, the Chinese currency I talked about in the last podcast. Again, every week, every day, they, the Chinese government, the PBOC, uh, the People's Bank of China, they actually fixed their uh, currency to a certain level every single day, every night, around 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So again, the weaker the currency, it hurts us. So again, they want to weaken their currency as much as they can because it kind of manipulates them to have, it gives them more of an authority or easier to sell their goods or export their goods because their stuff is so cheaper. So again, a stronger dollar does hurt us in a sense, but you don't want a weak dollar either because it will cause massive inflation. So when it comes to economics, guys, it's kind of the, uh, you know, the boring science, kind of like the porridge between the three bears and the blonde or whatever, the blondie and the three bears, Goldilocks, excuse me. You know, not too hot, not too cold. That's where we are. Uh, cryptos, rough week. Again, uh, we talked about Bitcoin, about 10470 There was a, um, an actual uh, uh, news out about uh, some futures contracts being put out there. So again, more and more uh, practicality, more and more systems have being, are being used with Bitcoin, which is what we call adoption. So again, I'm still long Bitcoin. I don't intend to sell it anytime. Um, the fact that maybe the Bitcoin is maybe safe, a safe haven, that's actually been kind of debunked lately because the 10-year and negative bond yields have actually gone up and Bitcoin took a little bit of a hit last weekend. So again, maybe we were a little too quick to say that. They were, in contrast, going together with gold, uh, Bitcoin being digital gold and the gold being the regular gold, the metal. They were actually moving in tandem in a sense because they were almost like a hedge against this runaway um, uh, lower interest rates. So again, that kind of decoupled lately so again we need to keep an eye on bitcoin and gold together and see how they move moving forward uh so again commodities look pretty much quiet for the most part uh oil has been taking a bit of a hit uh wednesday stockpiles were up uh not expected uh but again the saudis have been saying they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure they, they uh, increase demand by lowering supplies that's all they can do with opec just lower supplies but in a sense with fracking in the us and lower demand in regards to more efficient vehicles and you know, electric cars being around the United States, you're not gonna have that much demand in oil unless they really cut it off. And keep in mind, when it comes to OPEC, there's a lot of nations in it. I believe there's about, I wanna say 20 nations that are part of it. And in order to pay their bills, they have to pump oil. So just telling a, a country, don't pump oil because we wanna keep prices high, it doesn't actually work in a sense. So just keep that in mind. Um, again, uh, other than that, you know, just a heads up, we're at $17 trillion of negative yielding debt globally. So keep that in mind. Um, that means if you have bonds, international bonds, $17 trillion of that paper is paying negative, meaning you have to pay the government to hold your money. They're not even giving you interest now. That's where we are. It's a, definitely a bizarre world, but that's where we are. So uh, it's a very interesting scenario in this market to see that uh, everyone's going to flight to safety when we're almost pricing in a depression. When we're not even close to there yet and that's that's almost very very interesting to me um but yeah that's where we are so let's go ahead and answer some questions on our instagram page uh let's go ahead and see what we got uh, i'm gonna go ahead and bring it up here this is our instagram page 
as you can see here on YouTube, I'm going to go ahead and take a look. And I want to thank you guys again for all your questions. So let's see. Um, well, volatile. This is from Lena, eleven thirty-four. Uh, will volatility continue on for the next twenty-four, eighteen to twenty-four months? I think we just have to kind of accept the fact that volatility is here to stay, especially with a president that we have now that's very in tune with the markets. He almost, in a sense, gauges his 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 policies based on the stock market. That's very unprecedented. Uh, most presidents do not gauge their performance on the stock market because at the end of the day, it, it, it really isn't up to them. It's really based on confidence. You can do tax cuts, you can do monetary policy, you can do trade deals. But again, the stock market shouldn't be your barometer for the economy. The stock market is not the economy. The economy is not the stock market. The stock market, in a sense, guys, is just prices moving left and right. So again, uh, expect volatility for the future. Again, this is a trader's market, guys. The rolling 12 months of the S&P, we're basically up 1%. So all these movements that we've had, December, May, June, uh, January, all of that being done, we're up only 1% in the S&P. All that peaks and valleys, all we have moves. So I'm going to go ahead and show you that here in my screen with ES. This is the S&P 500 index. So you can see starting, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring up a, a weekly chart. This is a four-hour chart. I'm going to bring up a weekly chart. And you could see starting here, you could see this is starting January 19th, rolling 12 months. So rolling 12 months, we're basically where we were. So bring up August, see where we are? We're right there, 29.38, just below, about 40 handles below. All these peaks and valleys and nothing has changed. But again, it is a trader's market. So again, if you're a day trader, you're loving this volatility. If you're an investor, you're basically on a roller coaster looking for some Pepto or looking for some Dramamine because you're just going dizzy. But again, uh, if you're a long-term investor, it really doesn't matter what you're doing here because you're not going to sell uh, right now anyways into weakness. Again, you want to hold long-term. That's what investing is. Day trading is completely different. Thanks for the question. Uh, let's see uh, more questions here. Uh, invest in Lifestyle asks, if I had 10K to invest in something, what should it be? Um, that's a pretty broad question because uh, I'm going to assume that you're debt free and you know you can invest now. You're not going to borrow money to invest or anything. I always say this. If you have less than $25,000 to invest, best bet is just to invest in the S&P 500 fund. There's a lot of uh, commission-free ones. Uh, one I like is SPYG, SPYG. That's commission-free through TD Ameritrade. Uh, they're not a sponsor of us of any kind. I just use them personally. So does my team. So again, I, I like them because I'll get the the actual, um, I'll get the S&P 500 diversification, but yet not pay a fee for it. So I'm, I get diversification not being in just to one stock. I get to be in tons of stocks. So I'm going to read you a little bit of SPYG, what they hold. So again, if you buy this ETF, which is called an exchange traded fund, we want to see exactly what you're holding. So again, the largest weighted on this company, uh, on this CTF right now is Microsoft, which is about 8% weighting, weighted. Uh, 6% is about Amazon, 3.42% is about Facebook, Alphabet is about maybe 6%, uh, Visa, we have two classes of Alphabet, which is Google, and then you have Visa, which is about 2.39%, MasterCard, Verizon, Merck, and Johnson Johnson. So again, you're thinking about those companies, those are companies that are not going to go away. Great balance sheets, Johnson Johnson has a AAA rated balance sheet. Uh, so again, very little debt, uh, they can pay their bills. And you go on Microsoft is the largest company by market cap in the, in, in the world. Uh, Visa, continually strong. Uh, Google had a little bit of a sneeze. Facebook, here and there. Amazon, there's nothing, no more to be discussed by Amazon. Verizon, great yield, about 4.6% yield. 
Uh, MasterCard doing very well as well. Merck has been pretty decent, uh, pretty much flat-ish for the year. But again, you want to have that diversification of uh, healthcare and biotech. So again, they pay a good dividend as well. So again, if you have less than 25K, keep it simple. Buy an S&P 500 fund, like for example, the Spider uh, S&P Growth ETF, which is SPYG. And uh, you can actually track the S&P. And sometimes you do better than most, most hedge funds who can't even beat the S&P. So again, this gives you diversification. It only puts it on autopilot. That's your best bet. Once you're over 25,000 in that, then you could start looking into individual stocks. This is advice that Jim Cramer has given, and I think it's the best advice you can give because a lot of people don't have the time to check each individual stock, look at their balance sheets, read the uh, the, the conference calls. This is just so much easier to do in a sense uh, because it's a way to kind of track the market and still get the return that you want without having the stress of one company having a bad quarter and sinks your portfolio because you're so heavily weighted into it. But great question. Uh, let's see. Um, we talked about uh, Luis Diaz asked, with the yield curve inverting, would you recommend cashing out and holding stocks? Um, if you're a short-term investor and you feel a little bit scared, then I would actually pull out. I would not. I have not done anything. I have not added to my portfolio personally. I have not sold anything personally. Um, I still have just been day trading options with my team. So again, uh, this kind of volatility helps day trading. It's just rock and rolling for investors. So again, nothing in my uh, investing strategy has changed. I'm buy and hold, buy and hold forever, like Warren Buffett does. I want to invest in these companies. If it's by end of the year, maybe I want to go ahead and rebalance and see what has been working, what hasn't been working. Maybe sometimes I want to rebalance to see exactly what I'm looking for and some targets. Maybe certain sectors I don't want to be in anymore. So that's an example that I want to use. Uh, maybe there's a stock that you know hasn't done well for you and you're just not confident in the CEO, you're not confident in the company. You can always sell then, but I wouldn't, remember, always sell when you when you want to, not when you need to. An inversion of the yield curve, yes, is a recessionary signal, but it does lag. On average, it is about an 18-month wait from the last inversion yield curve to a recession, full-blown recession. So keep that in mind. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, when markets, uh, this is from Flores91, uh, when markets are plunging down, what should a smart investor do? A smart investor should always be patient. A smart investor should not just hear the noise. A smart investor sticks to what they know. Um, one of the best things I always say when it comes to investing is invest always in something that you can understand and something that you know. So again, people always ask, what stock should I buy? So I always ask them, where do you pump gas? Who's your cell phone company? Where do you like to eat? Uh, what's your favorite fast food restaurant, for example? You know, those little things that you have a little bit of a connection with the company. You know, you love Starbucks. You drink Starbucks every day. So why don't you just buy, you know, Starbucks stock? It's done very well. And it was actually up for the year. Maybe you like Chipotle. A little more of expensive stock in regards to the sticker price. But again, let's say you're a big fan of Chipotle. You eat there every day. Why not invest in that company? You are a fan of theirs. Maybe it gives you more of an incentive to look at their books and to track the stock. Maybe you pump gas at a Chevron. Maybe you want to go ahead and invest in that company. You know, strong balance sheet. For example, energy is going down, but maybe you want to get into the energy sector. Why not invest in a company where you put gas in? That's your best bet too. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, who's your, who's your shampoo or you to use your toothpaste? Colgate-Palmolive, Procter & Gamble, another consumer staples. If you like Coca-Cola, you like soda, you drink soda every day, maybe invest in Coca-Cola too. Uh, if you like McDonald's, and again, McDonald's has been a great stock this year. You love to eat their breakfast. Why not invest in that company? So again, right now, there's no need to panic. There's nothing to panic about. Forget the noise. Forget the market and turmoil CNBC headlines. Stick to what you know. Stick to your game plan. You shouldn't be investing. If it's investing, it's long-term. If you're trading, then that's short-term. So you have to understand where are you coming from? Are you coming from a place of I'm investing long-term? 
or I'm investing short term. Big, big, big difference. Um, okay, so um, let's see here. Questions, questions. Um, I right, another question from Lena. Please provide overall thoughts on where wheat stocks are headed. So wheat stocks, again, you saw the boom of wheat stocks from Canada for the most part, because, or cannabis stocks, because um, cannabis for recreational use is still illegal in the United States. So again, if you want to invest in marijuana stocks, again, there's different ones. The one that I always recommend is CGC, which is Canopy Growth, because they have the backing of Constellation Brands, which makes Corona and other uh, spirits and other beers. So I kind of want to get in a company that has that kind of footprint where if we do get legalized, they already have the distribution centers ready to go. So again, you can see marijuana, if it's illegal in, you know, a total wine and more in ABC Liquors or your local liquor store or, you know, supermarket. We're years away from that. But I think for the most part, if you're investing in a weed company, you're investing in the fact that it's going to get legalized one day because the United States is still the number one consumer market for it, even though it's illegal. Now, again, you have different states that have different rights. And again, according to the Constitution, states have their rights. But again, federal law trumps that. No pun intended. But again, you'll start seeing more consolidation between different companies. Again, you're starting to see Tilray have a little more cash burn, more of an investment. But again, higher profit margins, higher revenue. So again, I always look at when it comes to stocks, not short term, especially if I'm an investor. I want to look at, are they still growing revenue? Are they still getting sales? Are their margins strong? If they're burning cash, I understand. Amazon burned cash in the beginning because they were investing in their infrastructure, which was the cloud AWS, Amazon Prime. They bought Whole Foods. Does that make it less of a company? If you don't want cash burn, then again, you want to keep a company that's, you know, basically a defensive company or a dividend paying company because they have tons of, tons of cash. They're not burning cash because there's no growth. But again, you're not going to get nice 10%, 20% returns, uh, 20, 80% returns. You're going to get basic 6% every year. So again, it's always that kind of a level playing field. Do I want strong, aggressive growth? Is it more risky? Or do I want something stable? Weed is anything but stable. Again, these, these cannabis companies are going to keep moving upside and downside. They're going to be very volatile. If you don't have a longer time horizon, I wouldn't even invest in it, to be honest with you. So let's see here. Um, do you expect 20, 22 Chase says, do you expect the September 1 tariffs to take effect? I don't. I think they're going to be pushed away for a little bit. I think we're going to kick the can down and I think they're going to get uh, pushed away until the at least 2020. Uh, of course, this would affect the Christmas shopping season, and the president has already stated that, that we're going to push the tariffs away. So I don't think we're going to get those tariffs coming in. Now, what the Chinese do is completely different. We don't know. And uh, one more question. Uh, where will we end? This is two people asking, uh, kind of the same question. Mahare GHG and Mick Pods asking, spy high by the end of October, and what is, well, when will we end the 2019 S&P in your opinion? I think 2019, we will end around 2800 to 2850. But I think we're going to tap 3,000 by October. But I think we'll get a little bit of a fall here. Unless we get some kind of quantitative easing or more of a bailout of some kind, which is not necessary, uh, the stock market is going to be a little resilient. It's going to bounce back. We have before. At the end of the day, guys, like we talked about uh, bonds overseas paying such a negative rate. If you're an investor, where else would you put your money? The United States economy is still the strongest economy on planet Earth, without a doubt. It's not even, not even close. Maybe Switzerland, but they don't have the consumer like we do. So again, these companies, U.S. companies, you had to bet on U.S. companies that they're going to keep growing and they're going to keep being strong, the strong balance sheets, the good investing. They're going to be fine, especially, for example, in 2008, we had a systematic crash of the financial system and we bounced back from that, obviously with a bailout, but still we did bounce back from that. And that money was paid by the banks. 
they repaid that. So keep that in mind. So that's uh, it for the questions. Uh, again, thank you so much for writing to us. Um, every Before every podcast, I'll go ahead and put that poll on the stories uh, asking about that. So let's kind of go into some charts here. Uh, if you're looking at the, uh, the YouTube video, then we can take a look together. If you are looking now on, um, if you're doing it here on the podcast, you really can't see. So again, uh, I highly recommend check out check us out on uh, on YouTube. So again, I'm looking here at a wide range. This is an hourly chart. I'm gonna go and bring up a daily chart on ES, which is futures, which I always look at. So again, we did bounce off that Fibonacci level, the 78.6 Fib, around 28.29. Uh, we're still below the 100-day uh, moving average, but above the 200-day. So that's where we are right now. Uh, the 200-day is my yellow line, blue line is the 100-day. So again, we still need to tap around 29.08 and break above it on the daily in order to get out of this range. I would still love a break about 29.40 to kind of get out of this little consolidation move on the daily, big drops and big pops, in order to kind of target the 3,000 or maybe even the 30.29 level, which is the all-time high on E-mini futures. So again, these are futures contracts on the S&P. These are a lot more liquid than the S&P. So again, you can kind of equate it to SPY. Uh, 29.69 is that next FIB. Again, we did break above that. So that's where we are. I mean, if we're looking to the downside again, you need to go ahead and really clear 28.16. If you really want scorched earth, I mean, well, scorched earth, but you want to get back to the June lows, you need to get down to 27.29. Again, guys, we're still about 400 points away from the lows of, of uh, December. That's a lot of dry powder to play with. So again, I would see if we get a little more downside, back down to the 200-day moving average around 2,800, 2,799. Uh, we're about nine handles away from 2,900. I think we do clear that on Monday. I think a good pop above the 100-day uh, moving average could show us a new trend to the upside and maybe even continue back up to 2,950, maybe 2,969 on that retracement. But again, it really depends on what we're going to go from here. You could see just we're just in a tight range right now for the most part. For the week of, for the week of August, this is where we've been, guys. Just pops and drops and pops and drops. Very volatile. But again, if you're holding S&P 500 contracts, you're basically flat for the rolling 12 months. So again, uh, kind of ignore the noise if you're an investor. And that's where we are for the S&P, and that's what I've always been looking at. That's usually the best bet, and uh, that's what I see uh, moving forward. So again, um, with that being said, guys, really no need to fear here. It's just been a roller coaster ride. We have not made up for the losses for the 800 points and what have you Monday and Wednesday. But again, you can still see the resiliency. You're starting to see that even if you are tapping the inverted yield curve, we are getting a slight bounce. Monday is going to be very interesting. I want to see if we get any kind of weekend headlines moving forward, uh, maybe more tra trade uh, issues. I don't know if the Chinese are going to retaliate anytime soon. They're dealing with their own stuff with Hong Kong. Who really knows what to expect? But again, you have to be ready for anything. If you're an investor, again, it could be a time to rebalance your portfolio. I would say around 3,000 S&P would be a good time to maybe take some uh, off the table because we've tapped 3,000 about four times, three or four times, and we've came back down every time. That's a very hard resistance. 3,000, I would start pulling away at some of your more profitable positions, get some cash, and leave it in the account, and then look for maybe some bargains. If we do get a flush around 12 to 18 months, it'll give you the opportunity to kind of reload on names that maybe previously you were you couldn't afford. Maybe like an Amazon, for example, that's trading about $1,800 a share, $1,750 a share. Maybe a Chipotle trading about $400 a share. You want to get in those on a cheaper downside. Again, it's like it's like buying Black Friday shopping. That's the way you want to see it. If you're a short-term trader, again, option calls and puts are the way to go because you can play that volatility. If you're looking to more volatility in the future, you think that 
the, the bonds are still going to go where they are, then again, maybe gold is your is the way to go. Maybe GLD would be the ETF to look at silver, precious metals, maybe get some VIX calls. That would be the way to kind of mitigate any kind of loss on it, uh, any kind of volatility moves that's going to hurt your portfolio. Those are some ways to go. Again, we've been saying before with the podcast before, utilities, real estate, um, utilities, real estate, defense, uh, dividend paying companies, those are the ones that are going to, uh, consumer staples, those guys have been surviving. They're the ones that have been doing very well on a downturn. But in an upturn, a lot of people are going to, on traders are going to pull from that, that those big gainers, and they're going to move it into more uh, cyclical names, more higher risk names, like marijuana stocks, cannabis, like semiconductors, maybe cloud-based companies, those IPOs that are coming out. So keep that in mind. So that's where we are for the week, guys. A lot to go over. Thank you so much for joining me today again. Uh, this is Carlos, CEO of GAR Capital. Again, make sure to follow us on Instagram at GAR Capital. Make sure to uh, tweet us with your questions anytime at GAR Capital on Twitter and, of course, on the Instagram as well. Uh, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at GAR Capital on YouTube and our, uh, subscribe on our podcast as well. We're everywhere. Uh, 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 excuse me. Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with me. More great things to come, more giveaways to come. We'll see how it goes. Let's see how much you like that Udemy course. Thank you so much for joining us. Carlos Garcia, CEO of GAR Capital. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll catch you guys Monday morning for the markets.